You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 228 of the Make It British podcast. So I've got a confession to make. I didn't get a podcast out last week. You probably noticed if you're a regular listener to this show, which generally goes out weekly every Friday. But last week we had a technical hitch and it didn't actually happen. And you know what? What's really ironic is I've just come off a call with all the clients in our British Brand Accelerator program where we were focusing on marketing. We were doing a marketing workshop about planning your marketing. And I am telling them that they need to be consistent with the content they're putting out there and the marketing they're doing. And then I have to confess that I didn't get a podcast out like I normally do. But this week, I'm going to make up for it because this is a fantastic episode. Today, I'm joined by Linda DeRouter from The Slow Wardrobe, who now for anyone who is thinking that doing any form of video content as part of their marketing is too hard because they're not a millennial and they don't feel comfortable in front of the camera, take a note out of what Linda has to say and out of Linda's book today because she is phenomenal on video. She's just making it sound so easy, which in fact, it actually is when you take a leaf out of Linda's book. In this episode, we talk about Linda's business, The Slow Wardrobe, how it came about, who her typical customers are and why she's chosen YouTube as the main channel that she focuses on for her marketing. She also gives some great tips for how she gets her videos together simply and quickly on YouTube and how she repurposes those into other forms of content so that she can generate sales from these videos. It's a fantastic episode. I hope you enjoy it. Here you go. Over to Linda. So Linda, thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast today. Lovely to be here. Do you want to start by telling everyone the slow wardrobe? How did it all come about? Well, um, it came about slight, in a slightly backwards manner, really. Um, I started uh, when my kids reached school age, to put it, to put it plainly. <laughs> I started with a small company selling uh, yarns and knitting needles, knitting yarns and knitting needles, and I did some of my own designs for patterns and things like that. And I regularly did, regularly did craft shows, and um, at the craft shows, I would wear um, linen apron type tunics that I made for myself with big pockets. So I had a place to put my knitting when uh, somebody would make a purchase. And very slowly, the interest in the linen tunics grew bigger and bigger and faster than the interest in the yarn. So 
um, after a while of answering to people that, you know, you couldn't buy the tunics from me because I just made them for myself, I realized that that was not the right answer. And I started making them for other people. And that has gradually grown into a whole collection of clothes that are all just clothes the way I like them and the way I like to wear them. So because some of this is audio and also um, people can't see your whole outfit that you're wearing now, do you want to describe to people what a typical slow wardrobe item looks like? Yes, it is made from pre-shrunk linen in, in a very high quality, as in it's relatively heavy and it's very densely woven. So the whole idea that linen is always a very crinkly fabric that does not go for the linens that I use. And then it is made into um, either a, a sleeveless tunic or a dress with sleeves um, that is relatively loose fitting, can be worn over other clothes a lot of the time, or they can, can be layered with each other. And they all have big pockets in common that are attached to the side on the hips. And that goes for the trousers that we make by now as well. So everything has got big pockets. So who is the typical slow wardrobe customer then? Well, it started with ladies who I would bump into at these craft shows who immediately saw the benefit of a hard-wearing fabric and big pockets. Um, and a lot of them are um, in my age range, so it's around 50 years and up. Um, but there are occasional excesses in both directions, if you like, people that are a lot older or some people that are a lot younger, and um, also despair about the fact that so many clothes for women do not have pockets. And uh, apart from the pockets, because I'm, I'm mentioning the pockets a lot, but the other thing I should mention is the size range, because I accommodate for pretty much every size under the rainbow. Um, we go from a UK size A to a UK size 26 in the standard range, and then we go outside of the, that range for people who have um, specific um, sizing wishes. Okay. So this wouldn't be the, the Make It British podcast if I didn't then also ask you where everything is made for the slow wardrobe. Well, um, it's all made in the UK. And <laughs> until very, very recently, it was in fact all made at my little studio in Greyshot on the Surrey-Hampshire border, um, almost all by one person only. And um, because I want to uh, move into the use of other fabrics as well, stretchy fabrics specifically, and we do not have the machinery here to uh, deal with uh, jersey fabrics, I have started, with your help, looking for a manufacturer in the UK who can, who can uh, jump in and, and help us produce stretchy fabric garments. And we've just received the first lot of production back. So it's a very exciting time. Exciting. <laughs> what was it that made you decide to also add the jersey pieces in then? Uh, well, it really uh, came about as a result of wearing the uh, linen almost around the clock and then, you know, sitting on the sofa in the evening and wanting to pull up my legs and 
thinking, hmm, actually, if this fabric would be slightly stretchy, it would be even more comfortable. So the, the, the underlying idea behind all of the garments, whether they are just made in linen or in stretchy fabric, is that they should all be extremely comfortable. I've got a big soapbox about um, women somehow um, being willing to feel that they somehow need to fit their clothes rather than the clothes fitting the person. And I'm very much of the school of the clothes need to be right for me rather than me being right for the clothes. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, that is really spot on. So you're pretty savvy at marketing, I would say, for you've kind of undersold yourself a little bit saying, oh, you know, this just kind of came about making it sound actually like it was more of a hobby. But actually, you're really quite strategic about the way you market to your customers. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what that process is? Because you do a lot of pre-selling, don't you? So talk us through the whole process. Okay, well, the pre-selling really has come about as a result of the pandemic the last two years, because until the pandemic struck, about half of my turnover came in through the website, and uh, a lot of the people who came to the website came there because of doing the craft shows that I was still doing and still selling yarn, etc., so um, ha- the other half of the, the the turnover came from those craft shows. So I had been secretly wishing the craft shows away a little bit because they were quite the treadmill and doing six or seven of them a year is incredibly cost and labor and time intensive and energy as well. It's unbelievable. So um, I felt that the the development and the growth of the collection was starting to suffer a little bit from the treadmill of the shows. But because so much of the turnover was tied up in the shows, I didn't dare walk away from them. Then the pandemic struck. So all the shows were canceled. So that was a be careful what you wish for because you might just get it situation. But I was not the only one who couldn't come to the shows anymore. My customers couldn't either. So I then did have to be savvy in terms of, of, of marketing and strategy to say, okay, if I don't have the shows anymore to connect with my customer base, how can I reach out to them and still connect with them? And the shows was not were not the only thing that I was doing. I was already selling out, sending out, sending out newsletters, but relatively infrequently. And I had started to do a video, a vidcast or a podcast on YouTube, but irregularly. And I had a bit of a presence on Instagram. Those were the three main channels that I was dabbling in next to the shows. And when the shows fell away, I thought, okay, now I have to do much more of a concerted push into those channels. So I started posting more regularly on Instagram and I devised this schedule of very, very regular newsletters, um, kind of interchanging, interchanging them with the podcast to keep talking to my customers. And, and that has worked well together with the fact that because the shows weren't there anymore, I then had time and energy to put into the development of the collection. And when I started to design new garments, that was an opportunity to say, hang on a minute, if I'm bringing out a new garment and I'm talking to my customers through a newsletter, I can bring that garment to them with a pre-order. 
And that's how the pre-orders came about. And first asked them what they wanted and in which colors and which sizes. And then because I had the production all in-house, take a couple of weeks to make those orders and send them out. And that's what we're still doing now. And the whole pre-order process ties in so beautifully as well with the name of your brand, The Slow Wardrobe. When you when you came up with the name Slow Wardrobe, you know, was that the reason? I mean, how did how did the name Slow Wardrobe come about? And what does slow fashion or slow clothing mean to you? Well, the name of the business wasn't always the Slow Wardrobe. Until 2018, it was called Tall Yarns. The business name started off in 2008 as Tall Yarns and Tails which was a play on the words of the fact that I was selling yarns, that I was, I'm was i a relatively tall person, not crazily so, but relatively tall. So it was, a, it was a play on words. But I was getting more and more feedback at the shows where people would walk by the stand, see the name Tall Yarns, and think, oh, I really like those clothes, but they're not for me because I'm not tall. So somehow people started to associate the word tall, as in tall yarns, with clothes for tall people. Um, and I thought that 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 would start being more and more of um, an obstruction, really, as, as the clothes became more and more important as part of the, uh, the overall look and feel of the business. So together with the fact that everything is uh, made at our local studio and that we can be very um, accommodating in terms of size and length. And a lot of, a lot of the clothes that we do come in two or three different lengths and in different sizes, etc. So there is a, an almost bespoke element to them. And I wanted to communicate that together with um, the fact that it's clothes for everyone. So for a while, um, we had as a tagline, everybody happy as three words, everybody happy, but everybody as in, as in human body happy. So we, we used that for a while um, and had the feeling that that wasn't enough. And that's when I thought, well, okay, tall yarns needs to go. The word tall needs to go out of the, out of the name of the business. And how do I capture the fact that I am, so different in my approach to how I get the uh, garments designed and then marketed and sold to my customers. And slow wardrobe and slow fashion, of course, is, is there's a connection there. But um, I have found, especially with the podcasting that I had started to do, that I have quite a lot to say to people about how they dress themselves in general. And not just with my particular clothes, but the looking at proportions and looking at combinations of different colors and why and how you layer certain clothes together. And that's what I talk about and show a lot about in the, um, the video cast that I do on YouTube. And that's what I'll try to capture as well with, with the name of the Slow Wardrobe. I love everybody happy. You don't use that tagline anymore. What's the reason you dropped it? 
Not as much because I was getting some pushback from people who said, well, the kind of clothes I want to wear are really fitted and really tight and you don't do those. So you're not really making everybody happy. It's like, okay, well, strictly speaking, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that's not well, your customer. So maybe you absolutely. should go to everybody happy because that you know you I've no you've said to me that some people they try your clothes on and the minute they put them on I go where have you been all my life yes yeah we yeah we get a lot of that we and even now that we do a lot of shows uh, uh, not a lot of shows because of course when we did a lot of shows we would get that all the time we would get somebody walking onto the stand and saying oh, I love this look but it's just not for me I can't see myself in it and we would always say well just try one on you don't have to buy it, of course. You know, it's like just try one on, and they would try one on and look in the mirror. And I, I was saying because we just did a show again last month in in Wales, and I was I was telling um, uh, my kids and my husband when I got home, there is this split second that I absolutely live for when somebody puts one of the garments on. They've never tried them before. They look in the mirror, and then they turn around. And there is the little spark in their eye. There is a little excitement in their eye. And it's just fleeting. But it's like a, a sudden intake of breath. They got like, It's like, oh, my goodness, I love this. And that, that just shines out of their eyes. It's wonderful. I don't think they'd have the same reaction if they were trying something on that was really close-fitting. No. No, they would not. No, they would not. And, and you know... And there are a lot of people who um, haven't enjoyed playing with their wardrobe and adding clothes to their wardrobe for years. And a lot of them are in my age range. A lot of them are coming up to or in or post menopause and they've seen their body change. They don't like what they see. And they kind of give up on getting dressed and having fun with their clothes. And that is such a shame. There's so much fun to be had, especially when you do get older and you think, you know what, I'm going to get dressed for me. I want to put something on when I can look in the mirror, really like what I see, and then just forget about my body because I don't have to stand a certain way or sit a certain way or hold my tummy in or arch my back to make it look good. It looks good when I don't try. And that's what I mean with, you know, the clothes need to suit you. You have to have to be effortless. You have to be able to throw them on and feel good and look good. And when you mm. believe you look good, then you start radiating that out. So we have examples of people who will buy one of their art dresses at a show and say, you know, I like it so much, I, I'll keep it on. And they, so they're walking around the show and they have just bought a dress. And in so many cases, they'll be back before the end of the day saying, I need a second one. I have never in my <laughs> life had this many compliments in a short space of time. And it's purely because they feel good. It's not the dress. It's what they radiate out. Yeah. So is that why you decided to, because you said, you know, you, you had it with the trade shows situation and doing six shows a year, but then you've just said that you got back out to Wales recently to a show. So are you going to mix it up between what you do brilliantly online, which is your educational um, and fun YouTube videos for your customers, 
but also those offline shows? How do you see the two things will kind of work together? Well, I think for now, what what we're doing is just doing like two shows or so a year. The first show that we did was in in April in Wales, and we're going to do another one at the end of September up in Skipton in Yorkshire. They're still fibre-related shows. A lot of my existing uh, and long-term customers go there, so it's lovely to connect with them again. But I think it's going to stay something like that, just one or two shows a year, and then supplement that with um, the YouTube videos, the newsletter. And I'm also seriously considering to explore doing some some live selling online and really replace some of the face-to-face contact at shows with some direct contact with a, a live connection with people online. I think I'll enjoy that immensely because it's that it's that feedback loop that is very, very rewarding. Yeah, exactly. What made you decide to go on to YouTube in the first place? Because if I was thinking of, oh, an audience of 50 plus, age 50 plus women, possibly wouldn't look at YouTube as being the first social media channel for that. So what was the reason that you decided to, because it takes a lot of work to put a YouTube video together. How long does it take you to do those videos? And what was it that that made you decide to put the first one out in the first place? Well, um, of course, coming out of the fiber industry, um, there are a lot of podcasts and video casts that are YouTube based uh, that are made by people who are in the fiber industry. So that was partially my example. It was partially wanting to find a platform where I could wax lyrical the way I'm, I'm doing to you now to people and just spread the word of what my ideas around uh, the use of garments and fashion are. And, um, and the, 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 the third element was just, I guess, complementing what I did at the shows and trying to communicate what the clothes are about on the website and thinking, gosh, I need a lot more words and I want to play with the clothes. And that is something that you can do only in a very limited way at the shows. Uh, you can get people dressing up and whatever and, and throwing different different combinations together. But that whole idea of giving people the joy of getting dressed and getting dressed in a way that you enjoy back I thought I have to do that through a video and that together with, you know, seeing those examples of videos in the fiber industry, that was kind of putting one on one together. Um, Now, in terms of of how much time it takes, it takes roughly by now because I've gotten better at it over time. I've gotten over the hang of seeing myself and having to edit myself. In the beginning, I would just see myself and think, just shut up just shut up <laughs> didn't enjoy it at all I got over that I got over that so it it roughly takes me two hours of prepping and and filming to get the raw footage and then it takes me about probably about four or five hours to edit that raw footage doesn't it so which equipment do you use to record on have you got fancy lighting and what what do you edit on? I'm thinking if someone else is listening to this and thinks, right, I'm going to go give it a try. I'm going to start making a YouTube about my my products. 
Well, I have um, a, a decent quality um, LED light like a that can be very, very bright. I don't make it very bright. I put it fa fairly far away, but that creates a daytime type of lighting. I literally use a corner of a room in my studio, which I empty out so I can stand in the corner. I literally stand in the corner. And I have my iPhone on a tripod. I just film on my iPhone. The sound is the iPhone. I've used a different um, microphone in the past, but it's it ends up being more directional, etc. So I just use the iPhone sound, and that works. And um, so the only thing is, the only drawback, if you like, is that I don't have a second screen that shows me exactly what I look like. So I can't see myself. I see the back of the iPhone rather than the front of the iPhone. So that's that's what's missing, if you like. But because I set the iPhone up at the right kind of distance and do a quick little pre-take to ensure that I'm all in the picture, the rest is just all ad-libbing and spontaneous, if you like. And I can't see myself. Okay. So that's why I also so think no it wouldn't be a big jump to to do some kind something live because yes, I edit it to, you know, put double would take double words out and, and take some of the ums and ahs and sneezes. I regularly sneeze if I have to change outfits yeah. so often. So I edit my sneezes out. But better apart from that, no no special equipment. Oh, and what do you edit on? Oh yes, yes, you asked that. Which Sorry. Right? Um I, I still edit everything on iMovie and I am right at really? the limit. Yeah, I'm right at the limit of what iMovie is capable of. So my videos are a bit of an onslaught for for iMovie because I throw so much at it. So I really should move over to Premiere Pro, uh, Adobe Premiere Pro. But if you're back to the treadmill, uh, it's finding finding the time and, and really carving out Learn a couple it. of hours to, to play around with Premiere Pro and learn how to use it properly and then jump over. So at the mm. moment, it's just convenient to stick with iMovie for as long as it suits me. Brilliant. Well, I wouldn't have guessed that. So you do it all on your phone. You've got one light and you're editing it in iMovie. So that's pretty easy for anyone to do. Yep. Do you kind of script it out almost you have because i know you do the thing where you click your fingers and then you've changed the outfit so have you already worked out what your scenes are before and have you got any sort of script or prompt um i don't have any script what i do do and i spend probably about half an hour i have a rack of clothes that have the different clothes that i want to show so normally the show um that i'm recording uh, revolves around one or two items that I have on pre-order. So they're kind of the stars of the show. And then I create outfits around those particular garments. And so I, I look at the garments and I'm thinking, oh, I want to show that with this and this and that and that. So so I've got a rack of clothes, but I know better than to script and to try and be prescriptive in which order I wear them because I always go off-piste. I cannot control <laughs> myself. I, I cheat, I cheat. And then it, if I've tried to be prescriptive, then it gets very confusing. So I don't script. I just have the clothes that I want to show on a rack and I kind of throw them on as I go. And that, that four or five hours editing, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I click my fingers and then 
have the next outfit on that you know editing yeah. those bits together that's what takes the time yeah but one thing you're really good at on those videos is explaining the benefits rather than the features of your clothes so rather than you've done it already today talking about why you have the big pockets you know you've got things you want to carry around where do you put them aha well this this you know this dress has got pockets and that's what i notice you do a lot of in a very qvc shopping style which is why i think you'll be brilliant on live shopping as well is you explain this is why we've cut the neckline of this dress like this this is why the sleeves cut like this, this is why the seams here this is why it's this fabric um yeah you're really good at explaining those benefits so it doesn't feel like you're being sold to it feels like you're being really giving people useful information because also then they can decide well actually that's not for me um but for the most part people have got a problem with i don't know how to dress my bust might be too big or i'm a funny shape you're explaining how to solve those problems on those videos which i think is just brilliant thank you really yeah, good. yeah and I've, I've re i really enjoy that and and I, uh, I really enjoy sharing the thought that is behind why I create the clothes a certain way and why I go for those particular shapes. And I find it a real challenge if somebody says, well, my bust is too big. It's like, hang on a minute, your bust is not too big. The clothes that you are looking at and shopping for at the moment don't suit your shape. It's not your fault, it's the fault of the clothes. And the, the challenge is then to come up with a garment that works with that bust and works for that bust so that you can forget the bust once it's dressed. Yeah, yeah, so true. So you do your um, you do your videos then. So it takes you, by the sound of things, the best part of a day by the time you've planned it, recorded it and edited it. And then... Talk us through a little bit more about the follow-up to get people from the videos to actually then buy buy the clothes. Well, I alternate um, uh, every other week. I have on Friday afternoon, I always shoot for 4.30 on a Friday afternoon. I either send out a newsletter to um, a database of roughly somewhere between 1,500 and 1,700 people. And... Um, the, so that's one week, the newsletter, and the next week it'll be a, a, a podcast on uh, YouTube. And um, I don't have a huge following on YouTube either. It'll be somewhere 1,000 or 1,100 subscribers there. And like I said, around 1,500 or 1,700 um, uh, people on the database for the, for the newsletter. And um, they have gradually they have gradually grown. Uh, same with, oh, I'm forgetting Instagram, which is kind of the third channel, if you like. And I've got, I think, just over 3,000, maybe 3,200 or so followers on Instagram. So that's not a big following either. So if there are, you know, just to say something about that, if there are people um, listening to that who think, well, my following isn't big enough to try any of this, when I started this it, at the beginning of the pandemic, this this newsletter and and podcast sequence, I think my following on Instagram was like a thousand or so, and compared to a lot of other people on Instagram, I'm growing very very gradually and very slowly. Same with the newsletter and same with YouTube, but the following that I do generate tends to stick around. 
So it's not people jumping on a bandwagon. It's people joining because they are genuinely interested in what I'm trying to share and what I'm trying to explain. So, you know, going back to um, to to the, the 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 size of the following and what and how I'm trying to to sell and how I'm trying to follow up, it's a lot more about the. Um, the benefits, like you say, and and trying to impart a sense of joy um, a, a, around getting dressed rather than constantly going on about the products themselves. And I think that that's why people stick around. They then hear about the, the benefits of the garments and they go like, well, let me have a go. I'll, I'll try this. And and then at home, they have that same response that they have at the shows. They throw it on the first one they order. And, of course, I make it easy for them to return the garment and get their money back. Of course, you can return or swap or, or whatever. So they throw it on, they look in the mirror, and they have that same response. I just don't get to see that second of spark in their eye, but they will let me know. They'll send me an email or, or they'll call me and say, oh, my gosh, I love it. And if I get that kind of reaction, then they'll keep coming back for more. Exactly. Raving fans. That's what you want. And I know that your conversion rate is good as well on those emails. So exactly what you said just then, it's not about having how how many follows you've got, how big your email list is. It's about how many people are actually loving what you do and buying from you for that very reason. I can see totally, Linda, why they do love what you do because you've got such a unique product um, and you're giving them something really special and you're really good at explaining what those benefits are. So it's going to be easy, interesting to see how the non-pre-order product, because this the New Jersey collection you talked about, this is the, the collection that we've helped you find a manufacturer for. This is going to be the first time you've sold when it's not pre-order. It's like ready to go, and it's, it's going to be live from your on your shop, isn't it? From well, the yeah, it's it's, a, it's the first the first new set of clothes that we've done since the start of the pandemic that that have not been pre-ordered because before the pan- pandemic we were we were selling everything from stock. And we would take all that stock to the shows. And we still have a number of things that we always carry and that we always have in stock. But yes, this is the these are the first new garments for the last since since the last two, two and a bit years that have been designed and pre-produced. So so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they'll be received and um and how long it'll take for them to to sell through. I also think that um, they are going to be of interest to um, a a group of customers who maybe wouldn't have considered uh, any of my garments before because they've always been made in in linen and a little bit in wool. But this is is organic cotton with a small uh, 5% elastane in it. So it keeps its shape and it washes well, et cetera, but it's a very different fabric from uh, the linen. And there are, especially in my age group, quite a lot of women who say, yeah, I like those clothes, but I don't wear linen because it's too crinkly. And I can talk about the fact that this linen doesn't crinkle until I'm blue in the face. They've got this preconceived idea that linen is crinkly. I'm not going to touch it. Like, okay, (laughs) try this jersey then. (laughs) 
what you have done here, though, is you've listened to what your customers had to have had to say in order to then come up with the idea for what the new product is next. So you, it's not like yeah. you've just stuck your finger in the air and thought, oh, I'll just try some jersey pieces now. Well, yeah, yes. And, and there's another element with the jersey as well that I guess was born out of the pandemic where we were all at home wearing stretchy loungewear. And, you know, we are still a lot of the time now sitting at home wearing our stretchy loungewear, but the world is starting to open up. So the other idea behind these jersey pieces is like, I'm at home wearing my stretchy loungewear, which is from the slow wardrobe. Now I have to go out. Do I want to really get changed? Well, you don't have to. Just throw on one of your linen linen uh, tunics, keep the stretchy loungewear on underneath just one of the linen tunics over the top and you're good to go. It'll look great. And it won't look like you're wearing your stretchy lounge wear at all. It'll look like a great outfit. And nobody knows that you jumped into that stretchy lounge wear straight after the shower this morning. I love it. I'm going out tonight. I really could have done with the whole outfit. <laughs> Brilliant. Linda, where can people find you then? Is so anyone listening to this wants to watch your YouTube, wants to see the, the clothes that you're making? Tell us where they can find you. It's all called The Slow Wardrobe, all spelled as one word. So it's The Slow Wardrobe on um, Instagram or in the YouTube search bar, type in The Slow Wardrobe and my channel will pop up. And that's the name of the uh, website as well, theslowwardrobe.co.uk. And people need to make sure they subscribe to your YouTube channel because when you go live with this new live shopping that you're going to do, they'll get notified as well when they and sign up to your mailing list too. Absolutely. If you uh, go onto the website, then you'll see a newsletter pop up and that'll allow you to uh, subscribe to the newsletters and that will the newsletters will also inform you of YouTube but of course it's even easier to just subscribe on YouTube and ring the little note you know click the little notification bell so that you get notified when a new a new uh, episode is up including hopefully the live selling Brilliant. Oh, I'm looking forward to watching that, Linda. I really am. Thank you so much. You've been a wonderful guest today. Really good. Um, keep up the fantastic work you're doing on YouTube. It's unusual to find a clothing brand that is on YouTube right now that, that makes in the UK. You're one of the few people that I can think of. And I've been so impressed watching how you do it on YouTube and he particularly hearing how many happy customers you've got off the back of those videos. I think it's people should take note and consider doing things other than just Instagram within their marketing mix because it just goes to show what you can do when you start exploring other channels. Absolutely. So, brilliant. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash make it British LTD. That's make it British with the letters LTD. Bye bye.